0: If you need a Bible, uh, there are Bibles in the back, and I want to invite you to get one here as we are today wrapping up a message series on the prophet Joel. It's a place you don't typically go in the Bible. Hoy estamos terminando una serie sobre el profeta Joel. So as the children are going out and getting settled, I want to have you get your Bibles ready and get settled. We're going to be looking at the very last section of of Joel which we're beginning in chapter 2 verse 28 and we're going to go through to chapter 3 verse 21 which is the end of the book estamos mirando la parte de capítulo 2 versículo 28 al capítulo 3 versículo 21 now i'm not going to read all of the verses in that section i hope some of you have done that prior but what i will be doing is highlighting some of the key verses that really trace the, the train of thought and the message that's coming out of this final part voy a estar subrayando y trazando la línea del mensaje en esta última parte leyendo unos versículos clave so history records for us that over the centuries this place this city has been invaded attacked some 52 times esta ciudad Ha sido atacada 52 veces a lo largo de los siglos. This place has also been besieged, surrounded about 23 times. Ha sido 23 veces. It's been captured or recaptured in some form or another 44 times. Ha sido capturada 44 veces and it's been completely destroyed, completely leveled to the ground twice. Ha sido asediada 2 veces, destruida. Now, this city that I'm thinking of was the Mariupol of its day in a country that was like the Ukraine of its day. Esta ciudad era como Mariupol en la Ucrania. The city I'm talking about, of course, is the city of Jerusalem. Es Jerusalén. In the land of Judah. This is a city that's been through a lot over the centuries. And as we've been looking at the prophet Joel here, we've learned that the prophet Joel is looking at some of those times. Uh, The city uh, of Jerusalem is facing, Joel says, the day of the Lord. Joel habla del día del Señor. And he talks about the day of the Lord as a day of darkness and a day of destruction, and a day of chaos, and a day of, of gloom, and a day of judgment for Jerusalem and, and for Judea. día del Señor como un día oscuro, un día de juicio para Jerusalén. It's a day of invasion, and of attack, and being uh, besieged, and, and all of that. But as we look at the prophet Joel, one of the questions we've had along the way is, which day of the Lord exactly is Joel talking about? Which of those multiple times that Jerusalem and Judah were attacked is he referring to? ¿Cuál de estas veces, a cuál se refiere Joel? Is he talking about the day of the Lord that was the 25th time that they were invaded or the, uh, the 50th time? la vigésima quinta vez invasión o la vez? Last week, Greg talked about Another theme that we find through the prophet Joel, which is that God promises to restore the land. He promises to restore the people. Dios promete restaurar a las personas. God is going to, to repair the damage that the locust invasion uh, has uh, brought about, that the locusts have eaten. God's going to bring about, uh, repair the damage that the foreign armies have cause to Israel Dios va a reparar el daño de las langosas y de los ejércitos extraños and God's going to lift the shame of his people Jerusalem of his people in Judah Dios va a levantar la vergüenza de su pueblo but again we have to ask ourselves which time of restoration is Joel thinking about is he talking about the 20th time that God did this or the 40th time that God did this es la vigésima vez que Dios hizo eso o la cuadragésima vez we actually don't know I said at the beginning of the series that that the prophet Joel may have been writing we think between 400 and 500 years before the coming of Christ but we're not sure of that the one thing we can be sure is this that over the long history of Jerusalem and over the long history of the people of God, the people of Judah, they were living out a kind of vicious cycle with God and with the world. Jerusalén vivía como un ciclo vicioso where they would, they would fall away from God and they would sin and rebel against God. Estaban en rebelión contra Dios and then God would send an invasion or an attack of some sort uh, uh, to the land. Dios enviaba una invasión and then the people would would recognize their sin and they would turn back to God and would cry out to God and ask for God's help. Clamaba a Dios and God would be gracious. He didn't have to but He was always gracious to restore the people, to forgive them. Dios restauraba al pueblo and the people would once again be prosperous and blessed. Después prósperos y bendecidos. But as inevitably would happen, they would get distracted again and lose their focus and rebel against God again and go against Him. Después estaban en, rebeldía en contra de Dios. And the whole cycle would start all over again. That's why we have fifty-two invasions, twenty-three uh, times being attacked and and besieged, and and the rest but here at the end of chapter 2 beginning in verse 28 the prophet Joel is foreseeing a time he's foreseeing a day when finally that vicious cycle of the people will come to the end of its course it will no longer be a reality Uh, listen to what it says God is speaking here first thing he says is afterwards after all that I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Después de esto, derramaré mi espíritu, sobre todo el género humano. Los hijos y las hijas de ustedes profetizarán, tendrán sueños los ancianos y visiones los jóvenes. And then the next verse, 29, he says, even on my servants. Both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. En esos días derramaré mi espíritu aún sobre los siervos y las siervas. Joel here is foreseeing what you might call a breakthrough moment. A moment of transition, a, a highly impactful moment. Él ve un momento de transición where God will once and for all lift off of the people their shame, their sin, and He will pour out His presence. He will pour out His Spirit. Dios va a levantar una vez para toda su vergüenza y demarrar su Espíritu sobre ellos. Now that's significant. It says God is going to pour out His Spirit on all people, on all His people. Derramará su Espíritu sobre todo su pueblo. Why is that significant? Because if we look at the story of the Old Testament from the beginning, before Christ, that whole story, we find that the Holy Spirit of God's presence does not come upon all of the people. El Espíritu no está sobre todos en el Antiguo Testamento. Really, if you look at the Old Testament, there's only three kinds of people who are ever touched by the Spirit of God. Prophets, priests, and kings. Solo los profetas, los sacerdotes y los reyes tienen al Espíritu They're the only ones where the Holy Spirit comes to empower them. But here, this is saying now, at the end of all this, God is going to change that. And now all, young, old, men, women, high, low, all will receive the gift of God's Spirit and presence. Hombres, mujeres, uh, grandes, jóvenes, todos van a recibir al Espíritu Santo. And they will be filled with the Spirit of God. They will be able to do what prophets and priests and kings do. They will be able to speak out and prophesy or share the word of God. They will be able to embody the presence of God like a priest. Serán como sacerdotes para presentar la presencia de Dios. And they'll be like kings in that they will be able to express in the world the rule of God, God's will, God's ways van a ser como reis expresando la voluntad de Dios now the day of the Lord is still going to come Joel says todavía vendrá el día del Señor in fact in verse 31 he says the sun will be turned to darkness the moon will be blood red el sol se convertirá en tinieblas, la luna en sangre before that day of the Lord there will still be a terrible day coming día de juicio, a day of judgment. But here's the thing. That day will no longer destroy the people of God. That day will no longer touch those who belong to God. Ese día ya no va a tocar a los que son de Dios. Look at verse 32. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there will be deliverance, as the Lord has said. Even Among the survivors whom the Lord calls. Y todo el que invoque el nombre del Señor escapará con vida. Porque en el monte Sion y en Jerusalén habrá escapatoria, como lo ha dicho el Señor. Entre los sobrevivientes estarán los llamados del Señor. So those who call on the name of the Lord. Those who are given that gift of God's presence, His Spirit. They will be spared. Spared. They will be protected in God's holy city. And they will be with the Lord. Los que claman al Señor y son Espíritu Santo van a estar protegidos en la ciudad de Dios. Chapter 3, verse 1 says, God's going to restore the fortunes of his people. He said that a couple of times in Joel. Dios va a restaurar la suerte de su pueblo. But for those who do not do that, who do not call upon God, For those that are opposed to God and His purposes and His plan, the result will be different. Los que se oponen a Dios van a tener otro resultado. Chapter 3, verse 2. I will gather all nations and bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat. There I will enter into judgment against them concerning my inheritance, my people Israel. Reuniré a todas las naciones y las haré bajar al valle de Josafat. Allí entraré en juicio contra los pueblos en cuanto a mi propiedad, mi pueblo Israel so Joel's looking out and he sees this valley where God is going to gather all of the nations all those peoples that are not with God against God and he's going to bring them to a place called the valley of Jehoshaphat Dios trae las naciones al valle de Josaphat. Jehoshaphat in Hebrew means the Lord judges el Señor juzga es lo que significa so God's going to gather those people together into one place and He is going to have His day in court with them. He's going to bring their case up and He is going to pay back those peoples for the ways that they have opposed Him. Dios va a tener su tribunal ante las naciones y Él va a poner pleito en cuanto a ellos. But they are not going to go down without a fight. You see, God is going to judge the evil they've done. And they have done plenty. What have they done? Well, if you look at it, uh, chapter 3, verse 3 says this. They traded boys for prostitutes. They sold girls for wine. a niños por prostitutas. a niñas por vino. Further down, you look at uh, chapter 3, verse 6. It says, they sold the people of Judah and the people of Jerusalem to the Greeks as slaves. In other words, they were human traffickers, the worst of the worst. Vendieron a los griegos, a los de Judá, como esclavos. God says, I'm going to come against you, but as I said, they are also going to come against God. There's going to be a fight. They're not going to go down easy. No van a rendirse facilmente. When we look at verses 9 and 10, God basically does a little Clint Eastwood routine here and says, Go ahead, make my day. Go ahead, prepare for battle. Go ahead, get your weapons together. Adelante, hagan sus armas. Go ahead and take your plowshares and make swords out of them and rattle those swords. All that you want, it won't make a difference in terms of the result. Ustedes pueden hacer de arados, uh, espadas y sacudirlas, no importa. I'm still going to win. Verse 12. It says, let the nations be roused. Let them advance into the valley of Jehoshaphat for there I will sit to judge all the nations on every side. las naciones suban hasta el valle de Josaphat que allí me sentaré para juzgar a los pueblos God is going to call a spade a spade and he's going to return what is due to those that oppose his plan and his purposes. In fact, chapter 3, verse 13 talks about God taking up all of the evil, all of the terrible things. Think about all of the evil committed from the beginning of time until the end of time and all of the evil doers. God's going to harvest that. He's going to harvest it all and throw it away. Dios va cosechar el mal del mundo y desecharlo. Verse 13, swing the sickle for the harvest is ripe swing the sickle for the harvest is ripe come trample the grapes for the wine press is full and the vats overflow so great is their wickedness mano a la que la miesa está madura vengan a pisar las uvas que está lleno el lagar sus cubas se desbordan tan grande su maldad so God's going to harvest all that junk up anything that is sinful and evil and terrible about our world and any one who is willingly connected to it, who is in rebellion against God. It's all going to be brought together. Dios va a cosechar el mal del mundo. But as Joel looks out on this, he's looking out on this valley of judgment, he sees something else that we need to pay attention to. Elbe algo más. Verse 14. Multitudes. Multitudes in the valley of of decision for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision multitud tras multitud en el valle de la decisión cercano está el día del Señor en el valle de la decisión he's looking out and he's seeing all the people all the people out there multitudes el ve todo el pueblo allí todas las personas And the idea with this word multitudes, I I don't know if I can quite convey it, but it's the idea of it's multitudes that are in confusion and chaos. They're they're in a place of not knowing what to do. So multitudes en chaos, en una confusión. And Joel doesn't say just that they're in the valley of judgment. He says they're in the valley of decision. The day of the Lord is near. In other words, he's not seeing the whole final picture. It's almost like there's a picture before the final, final picture está mirando como una imagen penúltima del, del día de la decisión multitudes are in this valley of decision the word decision again, I'm not a Hebrew expert but what I see is that this word has to do with a, a perfect cutting incising decision it's a precise discernment of what is what es, es una decisión cortante, precisa and there's going to be a moment where God is going to, to make a precise decision and a precise determination of who his people are and who his people aren't. Va de determinar son de él no. You know what that makes me think of? It reminds me of a parable of Jesus in Matthew chapter 13. If you look at that parable, it's called sometimes the, the parable of the wheat and the tares. Is la parábola de Jesús del trigo y la cizaña o las malas hierbas. About a, 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 a sower, a farmer who planted a field with wheat and then the weeds got in there somehow and they were all mixed together in this wheat field. Había un sembrador que puso trigo y después crecieron malas hierbas también. And what did the farmer say? He said, wait. Wait until the final day. And then we'll cut it all. We'll cut it all and then we'll separate out the wheat, and the weeds, and the wheat will be kept and the weeds will be burnt up. En el día final van a cosechar el trigo y la cizaña y van a quemar la cizaña y quedarse con el trigo. That's kind of the picture I get here that as Joel is looking out, he sees people in this valley. And the time is near for the harvest when God is going to harvest up everything, everyone. And he will make a determination between the wheat and the weeds. Dios va cosechar uh, entre el trigo y la cizaña. And he sees these people in confusion. It's a valley of decision. Es un valle de decisión. But this people is incapable of making the right decision. He's seeing people that are caught in the same cycle that Israel's caught in, right? Sin, rebellion, invasion, forgiveness, going round and round and round. These people can't decide for God because they can't stay with God for any length of time. Este pueblo no puede optar por Dios. What to do with these people? Multitudes. Multitudes are in the valley of decision. ¿Qué hacer con este pueblo? Makes me think of again something I've mentioned before how in my college years the, uh, one of the formative persons in my life was my college chaplain and he used to talk about the fact that we, we need to understand the nature of, of the reality we're living that we as Christians we live in the midst of a cosmic battle between God and the evil one between heaven and hell he says there's a battle going on hay una batalla entre el cielo e infierno entre Dios y el malvado, el, el, el maligno And he would say this, we are the battlefield, and we are also the prize. Somos el campo de batalla y también el premio. In other words, while we live in this world, we're living in a time of decision. Vivimos en un tiempo de decisión. And the decision is either to accept and call upon the name of the Lord or to turn away from Him. Es de al Señor o de dar la espalda a Dios. Multitudes, multitudes are in this valley of decision. In ourselves we can't make the right choice. We can say, yes, God, I'm with you, and then the next day, what do we do? We go the other way. And this is where I think Joel is pointing us to the good news of the gospel. What we need, and what we need is for God to decide for us. And that's what he does by sending His son into the world. Jesus comes into the world and he he breaks through, he cuts through the fog, he cuts through the barrier entry uh, between God and sinners. Jesus viene, corta entre la barrera entre pecadores y Dios, and he comes and he dies in our place. He rises in our place. He lives and makes the decisions we should have made in our place. And so now, because of Jesus it is possible to be reconciled with God. Ahora por Jesús podemos ser reconciliados con Dios. Now we can truly say: everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Not because it's my decision, but because it's God's decision. El que clame el Señor será salvo, no por mi decisión, sino por la decisión de Dios. Romans 10 includes this quote in there it says if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised Him from the dead you will be saved for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved and not only that we are given a gift the gift of God's very presence His Holy Spirit poured out on us so that we might continue in the path of God también somos dados el Espíritu Santo para seguir en la senda de Dios And so what does that mean? It means that now, if you have called upon the name of the Lord and trusted in Jesus Christ, if you have received and and welcomed the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life, and you are following Jesus, you have been enlisted, you have been drafted, you have been recruited as a part of God's plan to offer this hope to others. Somos parte del plan para ofrecer la esperanza de Dios a otros. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. Ephesians 6, 12. Something really important that's said here that we cannot miss. It says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, the powers of this dark world, and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Nuestra lucha no es en contra de seres humanos, sino contra poderes, autoridades, y las fuerzas espirituales malignas en las regiones celestiales we're in a battle but people are not the enemy las personas no son el enemigo people are the battlefield and the prize but people are not the enemy las personas son el campo de batalla y el premio pero no son el enemigo look at 2 Corinthians ten, three. Segunda de Corinthians 10 3 It says, though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. Aunque vivimos en el mundo, no libramos batallas como lo hace el mundo. On the contrary, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. They have divine power to demolish strongholds. Las armas con que luchamos no son del mundo, sino que tienen poder divino para derribar fortalezas. So people are not the enemy. And the battle we're fighting is not a battle, a physical battle. It's a spiritual battle. Es una batalla espiritual. And so we're to fight not with physical weapons, but with spiritual weapons. And what are those weapons? ¿Cuáles son estas armas? Well, if you look at Ephesians 6 again, uh, Ephesians 6 talks about the armor of God, and it talks about the weapons, too, in Ephesians 6, 17. It says this, Take the sword of the spirit which is the word of God and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests tomen el espíritu la espada del espíritu que es la palabra de Dios oren en el espíritu en todo momento con peticiones y ruegos what's our weapon our weapon is the word of God it's the message and the truth of Jesus Christ That's called the sword of what? The spirit. The spirit that God has poured out on us is that we might bring the sword of the spirit, the message of Jesus Christ to people. El Espíritu Santo nos ha dado un mensaje, la palabra de Dios. And if you look in the Bible, it says that the word of God is like a double-edged sword. It is cutting. It cuts into the heart. It does heart surgery. It gets down deep into people. The word of God is our weapon for sharing with people in this valley of decision that there is hope and that Jesus Christ is the one that they need so that they would come to faith in Him. La espada del Espíritu es el mensaje de Cristo que compartimos para que las personas tengan fe en Él. So what Joel is doing here is so significant. He's talking about a day that has yet to come. He's pointing away from His day. He's pointing away from our day. He's pointing to the final day. The day of the Lord, the ultimate day. Está señalando, Joel, el día final, el día del Señor. It will be a day of judgment and it will be a day of restoration for God's people. Both of those things are going to happen. Jesus Christ's first coming is about gathering up a harvest of God's people Jesús viene para cosechar el pueblo de Dios Jesus comes in mercy in his first coming he comes to live in our place the life we should have lived he comes to die he comes to rise why? so that there can be a harvest of those that would call upon the name of the Lord and receive God's presence in their lives his spirit Jesús viene para que podamos clamar al Señor y recibir su presencia His first coming is all about enabling us to turn to the Lord and be saved. His second coming is about a coming where he will harvest the unrighteousness of the world. He will come in justice. You say, I don't want the justice of God. I don't either. But let me tell you, I want some justice done in the world. Because there are injustices, aren't there? Jesus will come the second time to harvest all that up and do away with it and that will be God's new day. And that's what we look forward to. In fact, in chapter 3, verse 18, Joel says, in that day, the mountains will drip with new wine and the hills will flow with milk En aquel día las montañas destilarán vino dulce las colinas fluirá, de las colinas fluirá leche. And then it goes on to say, a fountain will flow out of the Lord's house and will water the valley of acacias. De la casa del Señor brotará una fuente que irrigará el valle de las acacias. So it's talking about a river or a fountain coming out of the temple, out of the reconstructed, rebuilt temple of God in Jerusalem. Habrá un río del templo de Dios and it's going to water the valley of acacias. What, what are acacias? I had to look this up. Acacias are these desert trees. They're these trees that survive where no other plant really can. Las acacias son árboles que sobreviven en el desierto. And it's saying that out of God's temple there will come this flowing river to water the dead dry valley around Jerusalem. It's talking about, this is symbolism that's talking about the Holy Spirit flowing out of God's temple. Se trata del Espíritu Santo fluyendo del templo. And wherever God's Spirit goes and touches, it brings life. He brings life. The New Testament of the Bible would tell us that those who call on the name of the Lord, who trust in Jesus Christ, are the new temple. We're the new temple. The church is the new temple of God out of which God's Spirit is to go in this valley of Acacias, in this valley of decision that we're living in. La iglesia es el nuevo templo de Dios del cual uh, debe fluir el Espíritu Santo. That's what Peter said on the day of Pentecost. You may have seen this uh, verse is familiar. If you go to Acts chapter 2 on the day that the church was born, Peter stands up he says, hey, this is what Joel was talking about right here. The Holy Spirit on all of God's people flowing out of the new temple the church, and we are there to go out into the world. As prophets, we proclaim the message of Jesus. As priests, we represent the presence of Jesus. As kings, we demonstrate a new way of living, God's way, the rule of God, the kingdom of God. Como profetas, proclamamos la palabra de Dios. Como sacerdotes, damos la presencia del Señor. Como reyes, mostramos el reino o los caminos del Señor. That's who we are. We're God's irrigation system in the desert of this world. Yeah, sounds kind of crazy, doesn't it? We have a valley here that has a great irrigation system. It provides life-giving water to plants and animals and people. The church is God's irrigation system in this dead, dry valley of acacias, this valley of decision that we live in. La iglesia es el sistema de riego espiritual para este valle de la decisión en el cual vivimos. So, to kind of wrap this up, God will have the final victory. God will have the final victory over the forces of sin and Satan and hell and death. Dios tendrá la victoria final sobre todas las fuerzas malignas y malvadas. And we, who have trusted in Christ and called upon the Lord, we're called to fight. Not with the weapons of this world. Not against people. They're not the enemy. Somos llamados a pelear, pero no con las armas del mundo. We're called to fight with the sword of the spirit, God's word, with prayer, with sacrificial love. Con la palabra de Dios, oración y el amor sacrificial. The book of Joel in chapter 321 ends with a simple statement. It says, the Lord dwells in Zion. Zion's another name for Jerusalem. El Señor hará su morada en Sion o Jerusalén. It's the picture of God dwelling in the city of his people forever so that there will be no more invasions, no more attacks, no more, uh, you know, uh, besiegings. Those will be done. Dios va a habitar con su pueblo y ya no habrá ataques. That's pointing us ahead to the end of the story, isn't it? I see a direct link with Revelation chapter 21, verse 2. The vision at the very end of the Bible Se vincula con Apocalipsis 21.2. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Be, además, la ciudad santa, la nueva Jerusalén, que bajaba del cielo procedente de Dios. Verse 3 says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And then it's interesting in Revelation 21 verse 4, it says God's going to harvest up all the bad stuff. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Ya no habrá ni muerte, ni llanto, ni lamento, ni dolor, porque las primeras cosas han dejado de existir. I believe Joel is encouraging us today. He's encouraging us to, to dream dreams, to take risks, to go out as we did last night with Amago Church, to, to go out as we have people in Costa Rica who have been doing that on our behalf, to just go out. Wherever you go through the week, as people who have called on the name of the Lord and are filled with the Spirit of God. And we're part of that plan. Dios nos está animando a ser parte de su plan. So gathering all this up together in the book of Joel, what is he telling us to do? Cry out to God, claming a Dios. Get on God's right side. Turn away from the old life and, and turn to God and get on His side. Pónganse en el lado correcto de Dios. Allow God to restore you. Permiten que Dios les restaure. And then, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with God's Spirit as you follow Jesus, and as you look forward in the valley of this world to God's new day. It's coming. Espíritu anticipando el nuevo día de Dios. I want to pray right now. Let's do that together. God, there's a lot to absorb here. That our everyday, very ordinary lives would somehow be connected to a great plan that you are working out for the entire world. It seems impossible. It seems Improbable. Parece improbable que nuestra vida ordinaria sea conectada con tu plan para transformar al mundo. We're living in a world where there are soon to be 8 billion people. Multitudes. Multitudes in the valley of decision. Ya va a haber unas... 8 mil millones de personas. Multitudes en el Valle de la Decisión. Help us this week to understand our lives in the light of this big picture that we have from your word. Que podamos ver la vida a la luz de este retrato que tenemos en la palabra. If there's anyone here this morning, who is not sure or who has not responded to the gracious offer of the good news, who has not called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, trusted in you, Lord, and received your promised presence, your promised spirit, may today be a day of decision and a day of response. Que hoy sea un día de responderte, Señor, para los que no te han clamado y no han creído en ti, Jesús. It is as simple as saying here I am Lord I confess with my mouth I believe in my heart Jesus is Lord change my life confieso con la boca que el Señor que tu Señor eres Señor cambiame la vida and we trust you are faithful to do the work for those who have already taken that step there are many other steps to take we want to be found faithful We want to engage every day with people understanding that there are eternal implications with every relationship, with every conversation, that that the person we're talking to is living in the valley of decision. And perhaps there's something we can say or do that you could use by your spirit to, to make something come alive in them that they would trust in you, Jesus. Ayúdanos a ver cada conversación, cada relación como una oportunidad para plantar las semillas de tu palabra para que las personas vengan a tus pies. We put it in your hands, God. You're in charge. You are great and you are awesome. And we thank you. We thank you for sending Jesus into our valley. Not just this central valley, but this world. Gracias por enviar a Jesús a nuestro valle. May his kingdom come May your will be done, O God, on earth as it is in heaven. Que venga tu reino y se haga tu voluntad en la tierra como en el cielo. We ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. As we close today, I want to invite you to stand. And we want to recite something that we probably don't recite often enough. It's called the Apostles' Creed. And it lays out the big picture of what we really believe. And I want to invite you to really ponder the words... And the truths that are being expressed through this ancient confession of the church's faith. Vamos a profesar el credo de los apóstoles. So we're going to read it first all in English and then we'll read it in Spanish from the beginning. So I'm going to ask you a simple question. People of God, what do you believe? ¿En qué creen ustedes? I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. The Holy and Universal Church The Communion of Saints The Forgiveness of Sins The Resurrection of the Body And the Life Everlasting Amén Ahora vamos a profesar en español también ¿En qué creen ustedes? Creo en Dios Padre Todopoderoso Creador del Cielo y de la Tierra Y en Jesucristo Su Único Hijo Señor Nuestro Que fue concebido del Espíritu Santo Nació de la Virgen María Padeció bajo el poder de Poncio Pilato Fue crucificado, muerto y sepultado Descendió a los infiernos Al tercer día resucitó de entre los muertos Subió al cielo Y está sentado a la diestra de Dios Todopoderoso Y desde allí vendrá al fin del mundo A juzgar a los vivos y a los muertos Creo en el Espíritu Santo la Santa Iglesia Universal, la comunión de los santos, el perdón de los pecados, la resurrección del cuerpo y la vida perdurable. Amén.